Most of the wheat which we are using here is coming from Ukraine. That's what you should know. Now there's no more supply from Ukraine coming this side. You see? We are buying bread now at around 1,000. Yes, 1,000, close to one pound bread. For a loaf of bread now. Hmm? But yet we used to buy the same loaf of bread about six months down the line at around 500 Malawi pounds. Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. This podcast is sponsored by the World Energy and Meteorology Council, or WEMSI for short. WEMSI is an international organisation focused on weather and climate data to support energy transition, and we also work with educators. WEMSI have created TEAL, an easy-to-use, free visualisation tool that enables you to explore climate variables for the past 70-plus years. Get started at tealtool.earth. Find us at WEMCouncil.org and follow us on Twitter at WEMCouncil. Hello everybody. I'm excited to be joined by one of my dearest friends. I visited his beautiful country in 2013 on a teacher exchange where I was a collection of what was affectionately known as Assorted Uzungu (laughs) and had the privilege of welcoming him to UK following year. And thinking of this man always brings me joy. So I'm delighted to be joined from Malawi in his car by Francis Mbukati. <laughs> Francis, Bully Bonji. Dili Bueno, Kain. Ah, Dili Bueno, Zakumo. Ah, you haven't forgotten. <laughs> uh, I, I still know the basics, Francis. I still know the basics. Um, oh, yeah. So let, let everybody know who you are. So Francis is an ex-English teacher uh, tra- uh, teaching for many years at secondary school in Dedza. He now lives with his wife and children in the capital city, Lilongwe, and owns his own business importing cars for the Malawian market. And as I say, you're sitting there in one of your cars. <laughs> yeah, of course, I'm sitting in one of my cars. And uh, I show the picture. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, well, they, 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 yeah, it's, unfortunately, they can't see. Oh, but I have the, you can show me around, Francis, and I can describe what I'm seeing. So is it like, is it like a five-seater or something? It's an eight-seater. It's an a Honda Stipper. Yeah, 2010 model. Um, let me turn the camera around. So I just, I can see everybody. It's beautiful weather there in Malawi. Um, the grass is so green. It's nice and sunny. I can see lots of trees. Oh, that is a lovely bit. So basically, folks, it's basically um, a lovely sleek black SUV. So you said it was a Honda... The step wagons, Spada. Honda Step. Ah, yeah. So it's a lovely uh, looking vehicle. Is that your personal one or is that one of your company's one? No, it's my, this is my personal one. Oh, very nice. Oh, it's got an automatic sliding door as well. Not even mine can do that, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> it has um, yeah, lots of extras. It's yeah. very comfortable. It's very uh, uh, good to drive. It has lots of speed, but also it's very steep on the road, and uh, yeah. you can enjoy this one. Well, when you, when you come back here, you will use this one. Oh, you, you're going to let me drive? Yeah, yeah, I'll let you drive. <laughs> uh, of course, yes. I'll process your license and I'll say, okay, you can drive. We'll go wherever you want. 
<laughs> you see, everybody, this is how good friends Francis and I are. Francis is very precious about his cars. You probably could guess that, you know, in terms of Malawian income, they're not the cheapest of things, but he will still let me drive one. That's friendship. That is friendship. <laughs> it's a beautiful vehicle, Francis. Yeah, so um, you're... Um, so just a few, you said a few days ago, you were in uh, Tanzania, I believe. You were, you went, because it's quite often you go over to Tanz Tanzania to um, import cars. Is that right? Yes. Uh, uh, um, uh, I think uh, that was last month I was there. But I normally, sorry, I'm turning around so that you get the best picture. I think oh, there. You're a handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I, I, I went there, I got uh, something like three cars. And um, I saw them. One is remaining a two-tonner. It's remaining. It's at home. But um, I'll be leaving again this weekend. I'm going to get uh, one more. Oh, wow. And you said That's that... Wrong. Did you say that one of them was hybrids? Or, or I know that you've... Yeah, two of them you said were hybrid. Was that right? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Two of them were hybrids. And then, uh, one was that, an ordinary one. The truck is an ordinary one. But the two, two, two of them, they were salons, they were hybrids. So uh, slowly we are uh, moving into the hybrid market. And I hope I will be there for good. Yeah, because um, we had a check, because you, because obviously you you know, because I've shown you loads of pictures and everything, that um, I have an electric car. And uh, our friend uh, Brave, who came over to visit, so Brave used to be a, a colleague of yours at, at, at De in Dedza in Umbui High School, uh, teaches math. It was math, maths he would teach, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Science, math and science. Yeah. So um, he um, actually managed to take a ride in my electric car. So uh, okay. um, my Nissan Leaf. But you said um, that <clears throat> that's just not achievable for Malawi at the moment because they don't have the infrastructure and electricity is still very very expensive there. But it's really really interesting to hear that hybrid cars are um, because you're still quite reliant on petrol and oil and fuel, of course. But that's really really encouraging to hear that that. That even you know even Malawi's kind of moving making moves to hybrid. Are they, is there a lot of demand for hybrid cars in Malawi? Are you finding a lot of people interested in buying hybrid cars? Um, right now the market is not yet picking up because uh, people are not frequent visit with hybrid cars or mm. even electric cars. We, we, I, I've never seen an electric car in Malawi for sure. I'll tell you that. But um, for hybrid cars, I've seen a few. I've reported two. But the market is yet to pick up. Mm. We are yet to tell the people the, 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 the better side, the good side of the hybrid cars. As of now, they are still rooted in using petrol, diesel, or whatever. Uh, if you talk to them about the hybrid cars, they'll say, no, the battery is very expensive. When it runs out, you don't need to replace it. I know it will cost you quite a lot. But uh, we try. And slowly, people are beginning to understand the better side of using hybrid cars. Mm. So I think... Uh, as we are going on, we'll be able to break into the market and then uh, we'll be able maybe to uh, import, you know, type of car. Interesting, of course, is that you show, because uh, we're a bit late starting this chat, but it doesn't matter. I, I will wait for you for ages, but you sent me a great picture of you stuck in traffic <laughs> behind this big truck. <laughs> and uh, I just yeah. thought, yeah, that hybrid, I, I'm just thinking like the amount of times people might be stuck in traffic and they're wasting fuel. If they had a hybrid car, how much mm -hmm. fuel and therefore how much money they would be saving and also the pollution there'll be no very little pollution because the hybrid engine the hybrid electricity kicks in and there's not generating all that pollution because the traffic how how bad is the traffic in Lilongwe? is it can it be quite bad 
um, right now I can say it's now becoming quite bad, especially, especially during the peak hours. Like um, the moment I said, I'm going home, uh, that was around lunch hour, right? So that time it's hard for you to navigate the roads. The number of cars now has quite drastically gone up. And we uh, normally do have uh, traffic jams, you know, for, for, for about, uh, maybe it can happen for about two hours or three hours daily mm. between the peak hours. For example, in the morning, people are rushing to work uh, during the uh, lunch hour when people are moving around, you know, trying to get lunch or going home. And then when people knock off, knock off in the afternoon around 5 or 6 p.m. Malawi time. So that's yeah. when now we were so hard. Uh, but, but the number of cars in Malawi now, from the, comparing from the last time you came here, it, there is a quite a very big change. Very big change. So that's nine years, nine years ago I was there, Francis. Nine years nine now, years. yes. Oh my goodness. It's been nine years. We are heading oh. into the 10th one. <laughs> but oh, it's an absolute honor to have been your friend for that long though. Um, so, uh, so I'm really interested about this, um, about the fact that you have to go to Tanzania to sometimes to import your cars. Um, so, I know, I know that for, I've a lot of geography teachers back home uh, are listening and I just, for them, they, they would be very interested, like this journey that you have to take to get these cars into Malawi. Because of course, what people may not, may or may not know is that Malawi is a, a landlocked country with the exception of its, um, its exception of its uh -huh. lake. So why, why, why do you have to go to Tanzania um, to get your cars, Francis? Uh, you know, Malawi is a landlocked country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't have direct access to the sea. So um, the nearest port uh, that we can easily import cars from and safely is the Dar es Salaam port in Tanzania. Dar es Salaam, okay. Yeah, in Mozambique, we have ports which are very close to us, like Beira, we have Nampula. Um, but these two, they are in the northern part of Mozambique, and you know the northern northern part of Mozambique is 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 is, is disturbed right now, militarily mm. because there are insurgents there who have okay. taken over part part, part of that uh, part. So we cannot freely navigate through that part to ports of Beira and especially the port of Nampula, which is very close to us, but we cannot yeah. use it because of the reasons. So um, the best part, the best port which we can use. And very easy for us to, to move from uh, that port to Malawi, is Dar es Salaam. But uh, besides Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, we also use Wavi Spain in Namibia, especially when we are uh, importing cars from UK or Europe or America. So we normally use uh, Wavi Spain in Namibia. So it means if you import a car from UK to Wavi Spain in Namibia, uh, then you have to drive for about 4,000 kilometers. Wow. Yes. For about 4,000 kilometers from Namibia to Malawi. <laughs> when going, we fly, but when coming back, we have to drive. So it's, 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 it's a very tough job. When you're driving uh, something with speed like in my, my step wagon, it's easy because you're cozy and you're driving, it's, it's okay. But for example, see, I've imported a, an 18 ton uh, uh, truck and I can't go uh, over 100 kilometers per hour. So you yeah. can see how can take you can stem it for your week or two whilst you're still driving home wow that, is, that must yeah. be quite but your 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 wife is a hero yeah she's <laughs> 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 yeah. 
she is an absolute because younger she's absolutely a hero and um yeah, sure. she's used to that, that. She's and for your information when, yeah. when you came here i had i had how many three kids right mm -hmm. the first one was a girl helen the second one is Hazel. the third yep. one is Hester. yep now helen is uh in third year at the medical school now what that's incredible yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. She, she's doing um, a bunch of, um, I think, medicine bunch of surgery. And she'll oh, be there wow. for six years. Mm -hmm. So she's in her third year now. But when you came uh, here in Malawi, I think she was in standard eight. Yeah, I think she was a very little girl. But now she, she has grown. Yeah, she's in secondary school, I think. Yeah, I know she was in primary school. Primary Well, Hastings was in primary school. Uh, well, Hastings was, was, a, was an evening school. Was the toddler. Yeah. Was the last one. He was a toddler about one year old. Oh, <laughs> and now, oh my goodness. And now he's about to finish his primary uh, education now. He'll be writing exams this year. And then after that he'll go to oh. secondary school. Oh, hmm? that's amazing. You see how time flies. It most certainly does because when I came over, because of course, um, when you came and visited us here in the UK and you stayed with my wife and I, um, yeah. my but we hadn't even had our first child by that point. You know, Theo wasn't he wasn't born until the following summer. You know, yeah. the year after you were here, and now of course Theo is now eight years old, and Kai is uh, my youngest, who you've never met. We've never met either of them, but you've you know, Kai is now five, and they're both in primary school. So, just seeing the look on on Francis' face, everybody, it's like you know, where does the time actually go? Was uh, is there is there a good Malawian saying about time flying? Because obviously. You've, We've heard the English term time flying. Is there is there a good Malawian colloquialism about time? I, I think about that. I'll tell you as we are Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you about that. Okay, we were talking about uh, the ports. Yep. So um, from Dar es Salaam to Malawi, it's about 2,000 kilometers. As, as for me, when I'm driving from Dar es Salaam to Malawi, from Dar es Salaam to Songwe, our border in Malawi, it only takes me about... Um, Let's say about 13 hours or 14 hours. I do cover that 2,000 kilometers. So I'm used to it because I do it for more often. So, so you do that in one day, Francis, or do you stop? Um, sometimes I do stop. I'm getting old now. <laughs> but, but when I was a bit younger, I could drive non-stop. But, but with the stops about for about an hour or two in between, so as to put down the engine. But um, that's the way how we move cars for now. We are doing this because it is very expensive for us to use um, carriers, hmm? vehicle carriers. Yeah. And so there was an agreement between the Malawi government and the Tanzanian government that they have to open a dry port in Mbea. You know, when you navigate the Tan uh, Tanzanian map, you see where Mbea is. It's very close to our border in Songwe, very close, almost about a hundred kilometers. But um, lots and lots, lots of uh, political things, lots of you know, stuff for them to do, agreements, and up now nothing is happening. And the biggest uh, flaw is that uh, the railway operator, the railway line operator, the train service, which is uh, which was supposed to carry the cars, they refused because of, um, I think it was because of insurance purposes. You see? Aha. Uh -huh. So uh, we said, no, leave us. We are comfortable. We'll keep on driving. 
that's it. It just goes to show how many barriers get put in place. You know, like if if it's not if it's not geopolitics, like countries not agreeing with each other, it could be conflict or insurgency. You know, to stop you using a more convenient port, or it could be the fact that there's bureaucracy with the insurance. There's just so many things that get in the way. And you told me the other day as well, didn't you, Francis, that even the Russia-Ukraine conflict is having an impact on what you're trying to do and your fuel prices and whatnot. So how is, how is what's happening in Ukraine kind of having an impact in Malawi? Um, there is quite a considerable uh, impact which we are feeling, um, especially when we talk about fuel prices, mm. fertilizer, again, fertilizer, uh, we used to buy, uh, you, you, you are very conversant with Malayan quarters, right? Yep. One British pound now is about 1,100 Malayan quarters really? right now. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's the big gap that we have. Uh, In 2013, now, it was one pound to 500 quacha. And uh, now it has so, doubled. Oh, my goodness me. Okay. You see that? Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, with the conflict going on in Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia right now, uh, what we are feeling now is the automatic rising of uh, very essential commodities like um, uh, fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, our economy is agro-based here in Malawi. And uh, the marketing marketing system of uh, fuel here in Malawi, they, they normally use what they call automatic pricing system. This means when there is a, a global change somewhere in the pricing of fuel, it means here again it automatically changes on its own. That's what happens. So we, we know that the global trends in market prices are getting fuel is going up. It means here again it's going. Right now we are buying uh, fuel, petrol, at around 1,150 quarter, which is close to over one pound. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for diesel is a bit higher than that. It's about 1,470, uh, something like that. Yeah. Somewhere there. So, folks, so, but, it's, um, it's last so year. in the UK, it's one, it's about one pound fifty ish here. So, in Malawi, it's not that much cheaper per unit, but of course, the power, the purchasing power that us Brits have is exactly. a lot higher than the folks ah. in Malawi. So, therefore, yeah. effectively, yeah. it's extortionately it's, it's, expensive. Yeah, the, the, the economic, you know, uh, uh, effect there of the pricing system cannot affect you because you have got a, a bit under a stronger buying power when we talk exactly. about your economy. Yeah. Your economy is big. You see, whilst ours is, is shrinking by the day. Hmm? We'll talk about that later on, what I mean by that. It's about too political. Because last year, the same petrol, we were buying it at 800 Malawi quarter, 700 Malawi quarter, just last year. Two years ago, we were buying that one at about 500, 600 quarters. But when this government came in, things turned around, my friend. Hmm? I'm not against them, but this is what's going on now. Hmm? The prices of basic things in Malawi have shot up from the moment this government took over. Things are not going backwards. They're going now. We thought things would be better, but they're not better. Mm. Yeah. 
So it just goes, yeah, it just goes to show how everything is external things like conflict in Ukraine can influence those internal politics as well, and it's just and it just goes to show that how interconnected the world is. Uh, when we talk about fertilizer, most of our fertilizer was coming from Ukraine. That's what you should know. Most of the wheat which we are using here is coming from Ukraine. That's what you should know. Now there's no more supply from Ukraine coming this side. You see. We are buying bread now at around 1,000. Yes, 1,000, close to one pound bread for a loaf of bread now. Hmm? But yet we used to buy the same loaf of bread about six months down the line at around 500 Malawi cost. So you, you can see what I mean there when I say we depend on what we get from outside for us to, make, uh, to produce here in almost anything. Hmm? Yet the politicians there are fading to make Malawi and uh, what we call a production or a productive operated economy, whereby we can produce things on our own. It doesn't mean that we don't have some of the things which we can replace with fertilizer here. We have them here. But the way how they manage things, now we are beginning to believe that maybe all the politicians in Malawi do not care about Malawi. They care about themselves. That's what we are thinking. That's the, most of us are thinking in that way. You see, we are not being uh, given that uh, that chance that we can turn our lives around for the better. And so that's what I'm. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Absolutely, one hundred percent. It's uh, yeah. I mean, um, the political situation here just just seems. Yeah, we've got. Uh, I'm not going to talk about British politics now because we have our own issues with British politics here. And I know. Uh, I know. But, I, yeah, I know. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> Once, once, you, once you talk about the uh, what, Downing uh, uh, Street number ten, they had a party yeah. during the. Oh, see that news. <laughs> see, did you hear that, everybody? That news gets everywhere. It goes well worldwide. Um, but the thought that I had, Francis, of course, is that as much as this world is interconnected and can do a lot of damage to economies like yours, mostly because of you know the colonial history, which means that economies like Malawi's are almost enslaved to the economies of power that also has the opportunity of being a positive thing like for example if us here in the UK were to be more positive about what we buy so say for example if we ditch our fuel and we start going renewable for example that will cause the demand for fossil fuels to decrease and with the, de the the decrease in demand of fossil fuels means that they, the price will go down, which means that while folks in, like, for example, in Malawi, who are still reliant on petrol, they can be able to afford it a bit more because the demand from us rich folk has gone down. I mean, we can make a difference just through our habits and our purchasing habits to people like yourself in Malawi. And that's um, so people say, why do you buy an electric car kit when you can afford a petrol car? It's like, well, I want to do something for the environment, but I also want to do my bit for you know society as a whole as well you know i don't want to be demanding petrol so it's too expensive for someone else so yeah it's all that interconnectivity that, that i think a lot of uh like us geographers try to make sure that people appreciate um yeah so thank you for that insight uh francis um speaking about because so you've just edu you've just done the you once a teacher always a teacher francis right you've just done a great job of educating people I'm retired now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know you're retired. How, remind me, how long was you actually a teacher for? It was quite a while, wasn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Yes, I've been, I, I taught for about 17 years before I retired. Oh, yeah. By the time I was coming to Italy, I had taught for about uh, 16 years. 16, yeah, 16. <sighs> yeah, so you taught English. Right. And um, you uh, you said, I, I kind of, when we had a little chat about this before, you said, uh, we you the quote I've got here from you said, we still believe in studying about the parts of the leaf and the grasshopper. And yet, and this is, I mentioned another... Um, I'd say you're a great Malawian, Francis, but another great Malawian, um, William Kamkwamba. Um, and you said here, you know, the likes of William Kamkwamba, who for everybody who doesn't know, he's the boy who harnessed the wind, who built his own wind turbine for his family farms out of stuff, um, showed us how we can be creative, we can think and reason properly. And um, yeah. yeah, and your children are prime examples that if you give any human being the resources, the education, to nurture their talent, they can go on to do great things, no matter where they are in the world. So yeah, um, you must have seen some stories of like amazing students in your time, I, I imagine, Francis. Um, as a teacher, I have tons and tons of uh, uh, my, my my students' experiences, you know. But, and as of now, as I'm talking to you now, uh, I still talk to them. Some of them are still talking to me. I have one who is studying in China now. Uh, he went down on, on a scholarship. Yes, he was at Umbi. He's doing, I think, uh, biomedical engineering, and he's finishing now his master's there. I think master's or doctorate, PhD, something, something like that. I think um, I'm, I'm yet to find out about that, but he's in China. He's been there for about five years now. But there are uh, several of them who are doing quite well now. Hmm? But before I, I comment on that one, let me take you back a bit. You talked about something about skill. Mm -hmm. The ability to give somebody skill for survival. That's what I'm trying to explain here. The problem with our education system here is that um, it's something that is copied. We copied it from you guys. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the process of us copying from you, we eliminated a few things which are very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, from we actually eliminated things which would have helped us to be skillful in nature, and uh, we somehow relied on being uh, a theoretical, uh, on developing a theoretical type of uh, curriculum. That's what we are. So instead of us, you know, producing people with who are skilled in one way or the other, we are producing people who are very good at memorizing and remembering. <laughs> yeah, this sounds familiar. You see? What I mean? <laughs> you see? Um, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. You give an example that uh, we teach our kids here parts of a leaf. Yet when they finish secondary school, they go to college, they get employed. They don't use that parts of a leaf in their day-to-day -day work, job, uh, job endeavors. They don't use that. Now, when you sit down to say, what is the essence, what is the importance of learning a parts of a leaf in a classroom when you cannot even use it? Parts of a grasshopper. Hmm? You see, uh, we, we, we learn about, uh, in history, we go to learn about Zinjanthropas. Zinjanthropas, that's the first man, you know, to, to find in Kenya. But in, in actual fact, when you go out there and you want to do something for your survival, you don't use Zinjanthropas for survival, you see. So we are developing people who are theoretically inclined to say, this is what I have to learn if I have to move from one point to the other. We are not encouraging people to be skillful in nature and be creative in nature. That's what it has. That's what happens. 
you know, um, I, I used to tell my, my, my students to say, if you want to succeed in life, be creative, be skillful. Not them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was doing. Besides being an English teacher, I used to have a small track which I was doing business. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had, I remember, I had uh, photocopiers at home and kids uh, from my secondary school used to photocopy their things at home. That was a business. And slowly, I sprang up from there to something else. When I told my friends that I'm retiring, I'm doing an early retirement from work, they said, you are mad. You want to survive. Because they are theoretically what? Inclined to say, if you leave the theory, you cannot survive. Yet it's the skill that you need for you to what? Survive. So in short, you look at doctors. We have doctors here in Malawi. How many people are able to uh, give us a, a formula for making Panadol? None. No one. We have doctors who know how to, uh, to give uh, Panadol. They, they, they go to the medical school and they will learn when to give Panadol. But not how to make Panadol. You see? So this is the kind of problem which we have uh, in our education system. You know, you know I, I was just digressing into that part because of the comment which you came on. It was so interesting. And I thought expounding on that one is quite far much more important for people to understand that when we talk about education, in Africa, in general, we are a theoretically based education system. We are not skillful in nature. No skill. Yeah, I would argue so that we're the same here as well, um, Francis. Mm-hmm. We're still we're still that way here in, in the UK, where where kids get so anxious that they need to pass their exams be- if they're going to be successful in life, and it's so heartbreaking. It's one of the reasons why I left the teacher profession. But you know what? One of my best memories of coming to Malawi and and going into Umbui was um that i did uh i did mr cantus's geography lesson right and um it was wonderful because i was my lesson was about life in the united kingdom and i had the kids burst out laughing because i said this i said i am not here to teach you about life in the uk i am here to talk to you about what we do in the uk which we can learn from you malawians how to do better and they were like, laugh, laugh, you know, like, I couldn't believe it. You know, what, 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 what could we teach you? You should be, t- we want to be like you. We want to be like UK. We want what could you teach us? I was like, no, seriously. And then the things that I did was like all of the issues that, you know, being, you know, capitalist centric, growth minded, you know, always after getting more, more, more materialistic, all that kind of stuff and all the problems that that's caused in our country. And I'm like, and I want you to tell me, um in Malawi what do you do different you know and you're still happy like and that was just and that was such an amazing experience because I felt that it wasn't just me partaking my knowledge onto them it was here is my experience how could I make the best out of my experience based on what your life is like and hopefully some of them come away from that lesson thinking you know what the UK is not a perfect place and actually there is parts of my life which i want to keep hold of because they're precious and they actually work better so yeah that was a wonderful experience that was hi folks a chance for you to recharge your brew but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast simply liking sharing rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. 
please do check them out. I must say, uh, maybe maybe we are slowly now moving towards that angle, but we are not doing it fast enough. Uh, because when you still see uh, the kids in the schools, what they are doing is just the same thing. But I am sure that maybe very soon we'll be able to change, move. The previous government did establish something, what we call community colleges, whereby kids would go into such kind of places and get a skill, like in metal fabrication, uh, woodwork, mechanical engineering, something like that. Mm -hmm. And they'll come up out of there with some kind of a knowledge which will help them survive. Building, mm -hmm. building and uh, I think building something like that, bricklaying. Mm -hmm. It was it used to be there before, but they discontinued that one. We need to be based fully on the political side, which I'm saying it is now producing something for people who are very good at remembering. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean. As for me, I'll give you an experience with my last born Hastings. Hmm? He's writing his final uh, primary school exam this year, two months time. So I, I told him, after you've written this final exam in your primary school stage, between the, uh, the time he writes the exam up to the time uh, the exam will come out, there'll be something like three months. So I told him that during that three months, I want you to get a very good foundation of a skill which you want to pass in life. You know what he said? He said, I want to be a mechanic. I said, very good. So when he finishes this, I'll put him at a garage. He doesn't have to do anything. He just have to watch and move around and see what the people are doing. And by the end of that three months, he will not be the same person. So that's what I believe in when I talk about uh, skill or something, something like that. That's the way how I think we should teach people. English should be there for communication, to be able to link with the outside you know, world, to be able to understand what people are doing, what people are passing in life. Mm -hmm. That's very important. But the most important thing is for people to have a skill. Oh, I love that. We, 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 normally, we normally teach our kids to say, okay, for what you have to do here is you have to pray in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. It's not hard to do that. But by the end of the day, what are kids in the UK doing? They are busy doing graphic and designing. They are busy doing electrical engineering. Huh? They are busy, you know, in the lab, you know, trying. You are teaching them from a very tender age on how to do stuff. That is big in life. When they meet it, when, when they grow up, they will recall and say, oh, this is the foundation. That was the foundation. And this is where, where we are. And we know where we are. Someone who is theoretically uh, a thought, he goes to college, and then you introduce those people to a high standard laboratory, they'll be lost. Hmm? It will be like they're starting from the first step. But if you are given them the experience to say, okay, this is what you're saying, you will meet it in university. They get there, they get into that lab, they'll just continue from there. That's where we are missing it. Anyway. No, I love it. I, I think a lot, a lot I, of people in, a lot of educators here in the UK, Francis, are going, yep, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I'm not, they're nodding even though we can't see them because it's a podcast. <laughs> um, one last oh, thing yeah, for I'm, us to talk about, <laughs> one last thing to talk about before, before we finish off is um, yeah. the story of your, your uncle, uh, Dr. Atati Umpakati. Um, this yeah, is sure. a fascinating story. And from when, when I met you nine years ago, you were, 
you were trying to figure out kind of like the circumstances of his story I'm not, I'm not I'll let you I'll let you say but you were you were you were trying to figure out things about his life and about about his, the way his life ended um we're now nine years yeah. later and you see you found out a bit more information and I think this is such an amazing um it's a tragic story but it's an incredibly interesting story which I think people will be very interested in hearing about so yeah so tell us tell us about who your uncle was and and you know the the story of of what happened to him. Um, and, uh, I may say that me up to now not much is known about because uh, the the Kamuzubanda regime tried to suppress whatever thing that was about regarding him. But um, I, I may say that in the nine years that has gone by, I've, I've been able to unearth some things which are very very important, and um, they have given us an eye opener who the man was. Just a couple of months ago, I, I, I just discovered that uh, by the time he was killed in Zimbabwe in, in 1983, on 23rd March, he was actually working as the reserve bank governor in Mozambique. You see, it's something that we didn't know. You see, the, uh, historians were omitting that part. Now, so uh, there is a group of people who actually gave me a lot, lots and lots of information regarding that. And this one, this group is called uh, the Lost History Foundation. It's here in Malawi. The Lost History it, Foundation. Yeah. Lost History Foundation. They are not only doing something, some stuff regarding that, but that's not only, but they are trying to unearth that lost history here in Malawi, which was not regarded. Hmm? So one of it is regarding Dr. Dadimpakat. Dr. Dadimpakat's early life is not very well known, but he was born in the southern part of Malawi in a district called Kiratsu. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Malawi is divided up in district geographically, and we have something like 29 districts now. So he was born there, he was raised there, he went to school there. But um, I think uh, by the passing of time, after finishing Cambridge in those days, they were writing Cambridge. They were not writing Malawi School Certificate of Education, no. They were writing Cambridge. So he scored highly, and he got a scholarship to Moscow, Russia. And he took economics up to PhD level. That's why he got his PhD. So he came back to Malawi. And then uh, I think, uh, I don't know what uh, he was working that time, but he, he had a very uh, strong position in government. And then... Um, it came to a time where but he was not pleased with uh, the Banda's policies because him, being educated in Moscow, he had a, a socialism-inclined uh, understanding of politics. So the principles which the Banda was following by, right back then seemed to have uh, come to a, a loggerhead with, with his own beliefs. So they parted ways. He started uh, to speak against him, whatever thing that he was doing. He discovered that most of the things which the government was doing was evil, so he decided to fight against it. That's where everything started. That's where the AM started. So um, he grouped up with a, a few uh, Malawian cabinet ministers who had uh, fallen out of place with the Banda. You remember, uh, you don't remember, I'll tell you, in 1963, when Dr. Banda was the prime minister, um, he had a, a very, very strong iron hand on the government. So there were a few ministers inside there. It was against the Edward Rice. So I think they, 
they argued against these policies. Some of them were there was uh, Chipembere, was one of them. And he, Chipembere was regarded as the successor of Kamuzu because he was very intelligent. But he rose again to say, he taught Kamuzu in the face to say, what you're doing is not right. These were issues regarding human rights, economics, whatever, all angles which they, were, they thought the president was not doing fine. They tried, you know, to, to advise him. But because Kamuzu Banda was a damat, you see, he turned around against his own work, cabinet ministers. So the ministers somehow, something like they, they decided to chicken out after feeling insecure in their own country. Some ran away. Most of them, they went to Zambia. So uh, at, that, at this time, was not a, a cabinet minister. No, but I am not sure if I do understand the, the position. I'm not sure about the position which he held in government. I'm not sure about that. I'm here to find out about that. But it was a senior position. So him, plus another person called Yatuta Chisiza, and uh, a few other guys, plus the former president, the former president, Professor Arthur Peter Motariga, was the legal advisor of the group in which they formed back then. That's how things were. So um, he ran away from here to Tanzania. I think well, that's, that's how the story goes. And they established a group that, which is called uh, Lesoma. Alessoma is uh, something like liberation, socialist movement. Yeah, something like that. And he was the president of that uh, movement for about nine years, if I'm not wrong, nine years, yes. So from Tanzania, he went to Sweden. I think, yes, Sweden, that's where he got married. He had two kids, I think. So we don't know about the kids up to now, where they are. We don't know anything about his wife in Sweden. We don't know anything about that. I think they were afraid, too afraid maybe to expose themselves to the to what because the government was after our uncle and they uh, finally caught him in 1983 in Harare. But uh, frankly speaking, we said the wife and the children up now, we don't know where they are. If they are still alive, we, we don't know. So let me continue. Uh, so um, from Tanzania, when he went to Sweden, it was like he was moving around across the continent. He had very good uh, relation, working relationship with uh, the former president of Mozambique, um, Samura Machel. He's the one who appointed him to be the reserve bank, bank governor there. And he was doubling as Lesoma leader and uh, the reserve bank governor in Mozambique. So he was organizing Lesoma activities, moving around. And this now attracted the attention of Banda because he was getting popular by the day. And it came to a point whereby Lesoma was the strongest opposition here in Malawi at that time. And they had all the chance to dispose him. So what the Banda did was to get rid of everyone who was against him. He started with, with, with his own uh, ministers who had fallen out of grace with him. He started with those ones. He killed a few of them. And then uh, he sent a letter bomb to Atatim Pagati. And uh, when he tried to open it, it, I think it blew off most of his fingers on the left hand, a few fingers on the right one. So all this time when he was leading the summer, he had no fingers. They were all blown off. I think uh, Marshall, because uh, the, the bomb did some kind of uh, quite a considerable damage to him, he flew him from Maputo to UK. That's where he was treated. Mm -hmm. So um, when he was leading, uh, he was meeting people across the continent, you know, forming his organization, forming various structures to make things uh, right, infiltrating uh, Malawi so as 
uh, uh, what say, they should tell the people what, what is happening. They should school the people how things are supposed to be done after gaining independence. So because the government wanted to get rid of him, his movements were very limited. Now, it's a very, very wrong story. I think I will do some kind of a separate uh, 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 documentary for you. I will send it to you with whatever I'm omitting. I'm omitting a lot of information which you are supposed to know. I'll just go. I'll, I'll just go to the last part whereby maybe you can have a question: How did they manage to catch up with him and then kill him in the end? Uh, we are thinking with the information which I have. We are thinking here. We, I mean, our whole family. We are thinking to say the American government is linked with, the, especially the CIA, is linked through the Zimbabwean government because. What happened was that Dr. Tatifakat flew from Maputo to Harare. In Harare, he was supposed to meet President Robert Mugabe. In actual fact, he was a, a visitor to the president, current head of state at that time. So he was on his way to Sweden to see, to see his family. So uh, when he got to Zimbabwe, I think uh, instead of uh, uh, him being taken straight to State House, maybe, or somewhere safe, they took him to a hotel. I've just forgotten the name of the hotel. There, that's where they killed him. He was killed there. We don't know how he, he was killed, but there are several theories how people think people think that maybe that's the way how they killed him. There are several. I'll share with them with you later. So they killed him there. They took his body and they dumped it by the roadside. For example, you see, I'm at a hotel here. You see the building behind me? That's the prison building, yeah. They kill somebody. Mm -hmm. And then if you see this side, you see there's a busy street at my back there. So they kill somebody in the hotel and they throw it at the busy street there. And then they kill us, you know, they vanish. Not even no one, not even the Zimbabwean uh, intelligence, you know, you know, speaking anything about. Yet the president, the person who has been killed was supposed to be a visitor to the ruling president at that time. And now the most funny part is that during that time, the one who was responsible for uh, intelligence in Zimbabwe is the president who is ruling right now, Nangago. So you see that? You see, it's very interesting. So I said, ah. So he was at the home of the uh, uh, intelligence service in Zimbabwe at that time. I think he knows something about it. But we cannot ask him because he's the president now. You see? And the way how things are in Zimbabwe now, if even I even go there to ask him, I cannot come back. I can't. I'll come back maybe a dead person. It's far much more dangerous now than it was with Mugabe. Yeah, sure. In Zimbabwe, you can't just talk about anything else. You go missing, my friend. So, in short, just to give you a short uh, overview of what I've managed to source out, this, this, this is what is there. But you understand that Tadadi Mpagad also stayed for some time in Stratham in London. That's why he was holed up for some time. I'm yet to find out what happened. And that time he was on his way to East Germany. That's where he wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm yet to make some connections here to see what actually happened. What, what actually happened. He had some links in Zambia. I took a few of them and they gave me some kind of information to say, if it was killing Dr. Tatim Pragati, he would have been killed in Zambia. But the Zambian guys, they were so vigilant. 
Mm -hmm. They were able to follow Banda's men. They were able to know their plans. So uh, the, mo the, most, the, mo the most common link which happened here for him to be killed in Zimbabwe under such kind of circumstances, it leaves a lot of questions to be answered. Now, um, just a few weeks ago, I did discover some kind of an intel from a person who said I should not mention his name. He told me that there was someone here in Malawi at the police headquarters, Arten, mm -hmm, who is believed to have uh, had a hand in the killing of Dr. Tanika. And, and now I know the person's name. He's retired now. I'm, I'm not sure if he's still alive, but I think I'm still digging there, down there. I'm still digging. So how was he killed? They say when he got to the hotel, the pillows were already poisoned. So it was just a matter of him laying on the bed and then putting his head on the pillows. That was the end of it. That's what happened. So the, by the time these guys, you know, uh, took him from the hotel room, he was already dead. And they just shot his body to make it look like eh? he has been killed because maybe some other guy is you know, running around. But it was already a planned thing. How did this thing happen this way? I, I, I talked to one of the guys from the Lost History Foundation and he told me that he got information to say um, during that time when Dr. Tatimpagad was flying from uh, Mozambique to Harare to meet President Mugabe on his way to Sweden, um, in Zimbabwe, ZAN-PF party was having um, something like, uh, by then, I think they were not yet in government. No, they were in government a few years. By then, they were having uh, some kind of a financial um, uh, problems regarding the annual general meeting which they were supposed to hold. And then, Banda promised Mugabe to say, if you get me this man, I'll give you $3 million for your event. So in 1983, how much was $3 million? It was a lot of money. So it had to take the whole country to rise up against one person, pour him into their country, set up everything. In the end, he was killed. His body was buried in Zimbabwe in Harare. Up to now, I'm telling you, my friend, up to now, there is no tombstone on his gravesite. There's only a number. So we are planning maybe this year or next year to put up a tombstone there. We've been trying hard to get his remains here, but I think it's 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 too deep because even some of the people who are in government right now they have got information on how this guy was killed and some of them did have a hand in his so um my friend in short <laughs> that's what i can tell you about this man but according to the people who i've talked about the people who work with him a few of them they talked highly of him he said he was a person who was straightforward in whatever thing that he was doing. He knew what he was doing. He knew about it, the political uh, principles which he was following. He knew them. And he knew how they were going to affect the people, uh, the impact which they were going to have on the people. He knew about that. And the people who were following were convinced to say, if we can follow what this guy is saying, we can rise up from one point to the next as far as Malawi is concerned. That's what I mean. But since, you know, uh, when in politics, they say politics is a very dirty game. You either rise up or you fall. Uh-huh. So 
that's what happened. But it's a very tragic thing. But I'm still digging and I'm still getting lots and lots of information. I'm trying to arrange with a meeting with the former president because you know he has some kind of an experience with him. But you know, um it's very difficult to get through to him as well. But I'm sure they will give me uh, this chance to say, okay, you can talk to the big man. And I think he can give me a side of the story to say, this is what I know about this guy. Thank you so much for, for sharing that, that story. And I know, I know that's a very uh, charged story. And I know it's, you know, the, the most important thing is, is, for your, is for your family to have closure. You know, that's the, a very important thing. And, and what I would say to anybody listening is, you know, I would I'd say that this is, this is a result of a lot of things at play. And, and I think that it's a shame that people like the British government don't help out a little bit more because if it wasn't for, you know, the drawing of lines on a map and the colonial processes, you know, they wouldn't have driven people together to conflict in the first place. You know, things like this would be less common. But um, but if anybody, I know this is a complete, we're only a tiny little podcast, you know, mostly talking amongst friends. But if there's anybody out there listening, anybody out there who has think, oh, you know, actually, I might have a friend or I might know an agency or I might know there's some elements of France's story about Dr. Atati Mpakati, which thinks they might know a little bit of information which could lead to something else. Get in touch. Uh, it's very unlikely. We're not a massive podcast. We're not on the national radio or nothing. But you never know, Francis. Some them, There could be one person listening who might know something. Might as well ask. Yeah. There's no harm in asking. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I don't know. There's that side whereby you say, there's the big man is gone. Now, what about you guys? Why yeah. did you go? We'll talk about that next time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about the impact on, on, on ah, us little guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What um, happened? What happened? Yeah. 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 Francis, um, it's, it, it absolutely pains me to say that we've, we've got to finish very, very soon. But there is one more thing we've got to do. Um, yeah. For people like yourself who are listening for the first time, um, we do one thing which we kind of get all the guests who have been on this podcast to to link to each other. And what they do, Francis, is that they come up with a single word, one word, that you've got to talk about for 30 seconds, right? So last week I spoke to Millie, uh, and Millie is now going to be doing stuff about invasive species in Alaska with her, with her uh, studying, um, kind of like cross between Durham University and Harvard University which is amazing and I said what word would you like to give to my next guest and she wants to give you the word map m-a-p map yeah map, map. right map. so the the deal with Francis is that you've just got 30 seconds to just talk about maps or map or how you use maps or whatever I don't know the journey that you take the turns I don't know whatever you like about maps do you have any in your house I don't know <laughs> anything you like just have some yeah. fun yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got, I got um, atlases. You know, atlases. You know, books with yep. maps. Something like that. You know, yes, which my kids use. I use them sometimes. But also, uh, my phone. I have got to some kind of map there. The kind of maps which I normally use. But um, when you talk about maps, you know, we talk about countries coming together, linking together to boundaries. See, sometimes they can act as a unifying factor. So sometimes they can act as a dividing factor. Talk about Ukraine and Russia. The line there is just an imaginary one. People do not even see it, but look at what is happening. The same, the same, the same in Africa. 
these are just imaginary things now brings yeah but we are the same people with the same thinking with the same way of life i think um later on we'll erase all these things and let things be the way they're supposed to yeah 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 what an amazing little take on the word just the word this is why we do this francis just the one word and it can really give you such an insight like that thank you so much my friend that was amazing right one one more thing and for the next person i speak to what one word would you like to give them? Love. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> let's do that. That's, you're the first person to come up with the word love. Yeah, love. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. So is there anybody you hope is listening that you want to say hi? Can I, can I do a, a hi for someone before us? Should we say hi to Joss? Hi, Joss, if you're listening. Joss Mack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sue. Hi, old, Sue. I will say hi to all Asuti Dazungu. <laughs> all the assorted so, all Azungu, Francis knows. Yes, all the assorted Azungu, high five to all of you. Oh, yeah. bless you. So, for those who don't know, Azungu effectively means well, it just, it's just like it's a, an affectionate term for a white person, isn't it? Basically, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> you say you're sorted because we're big, we're tall, we're fat, we're small, we've got blonde hair, brown hair. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> 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 I love it. Um, oh, amazing. Francis, uh, I, you use the word love. I'll say it here. You are a close, close friend of mine. I really do love you very, very much. Uh, I miss you really, really much. Um, and I hope one day, you know, it is I, I, it's safe for me to come out and see you again, or we can somehow one day get you over here again it would be so amazing to see you and we promise 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 if you come over here my wife will cook for you again just like last time yeah that one that one that one what you know that? <laughs> oh well butterscotch oh butterscotch pie yeah yeah exactly that one. <laughs> so i thank you very much for having me on this podcast and i think i'm very happy Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.